0: Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, at Pod, And you can also support the show through Patreon. You can make either a recurring or a one-time donation, which helps pay for various parts of the show. You can also purchase fisheries pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and other swag on the Teespring store. My name is Anders Halverson, and our guest today is Drew McDonald. Drew graduated from the University of North Dakota in 2015, and after graduation, he began working on fisheries in Yellowstone National Park. In 2020, he began a master's degree program at montana state university in fisheries and wildlife management welcome to the show
1: drew thanks for having me
0: so can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're working on now
1: yeah so uh like you said in 2020 i started my master's degree in yellowstone national park uh it's kind of a continuation of what i've been working on in yellowstone which has been like trout suppression uh but now my focus have shifted from adult lake trout to more of juvenile lake trout. Um, In recent years from some of our stock recruitment models, we've seen that there's been this huge jump in juvenile lake trout as we've been uh, declining the adult lake trout population. Okay. Hold
0: on for a second. So we, we have people from all over the world, I suppose, listening to this who may not be aware of why we would be trying to get rid of lake trout. So can you give us some background on, what, where Yellowstone Lake is and what happened and just give us a whole summary of what, what's going on there.
1: Okay so Yellowstone National Park is located in mostly in Wyoming but there's also a little bit in Idaho and Montana. Uh, Yellowstone Lake is basically directly in the center of Yellowstone National Park and The native species in Yellowstone Lake were traditional, or originally were Yellowstone cutthroat trout and long Nose dace. Um, But what happened essentially in the 1890s was the U.S. Fish Commission came to the park and ended up stocking various non-native species in water bodies that traditionally didn't have any fish or historically were fishless, uh, and also added some fish to places where They maybe shouldn't have been in the first place, but for lake trout, they were stocked in Lewis Lake, which is five or six miles down the road from Yellowstone Lake. And that population has persisted there. They're still there, but we're not really sure how these lake trout ended up getting into Yellowstone Lake, but they were first detected there in 1994. And it was either through an illegal introduction by anglers or, you know, there's there's a theory that they could have swam up and around into Jackson Lake and gone over to Ocean Pass and ended up in the Yellowstone River and swam down. So there's there's a lot of varying stories. I've even heard that they were, you know, maybe picked up in a, a fire water bucket or something like that, and they were dumped out of a helicopter into the lake. So various stories, but uh, the problem with the lake trout getting into Yellowstone Lake is that lake trout are highly piscivorous, meaning that they eat a lot of fish and they are apex predators and systems that they get introduced to. And so lake trout in Yellowstone Lake feed on the Yellowstone cutthroat trout.
0: Okay. So why do we care about Yellowstone cutthroat trout?
1: So we care about Yellowstone cutthroat trout because over the years, the Yellowstone cutthroat trout used to have a very, very big range that covered many different states. Um, But through the introduction of different species in those water bodies or just uh, loss of habitat, everything like that. Their Their range has drastically decreased. And right now, the two largest populations of genetically pure Yellowstone cutthroat trout left in the United States is actually in Yellowstone Lake and in the Lamar River drainage, which is just to the north of Yellowstone Lake.
0: Okay. So does the preservation of Yellowstone cutthroat trout from Yellowstone Lake have any broader implications for Yellowstone National Park than just preserving this native fish?
1: Yeah, so they're actually a major food source for many of the, uh, for a lot of different species in Yellowstone National Park. For instance, uh, grizzly bears, ospreys, eagles, otters. They they used to be a primary food source, but ever since they started to decline, there hasn't been as much of that nutrient there for those animals to feed on. So there's kind of been some weird cascading effects that have happened because we've lost so many uh, Yellowstone cutthroat trout, and they're also not able to take those nutrients now up into the spawning tributaries and they can't be fed on and they, they're not laying eggs or any of the other stuff up there. So there's just not that nutrient transfer anymore between the lake to the tributaries and then into the park.
0: It's pretty amazing how a couple of lake trout can have cascading effects throughout the ecosystem, huh?
1: Yeah, everything is way more connected than we think.
0: So how big of a crash in the Yellowstone cutthroat population was there? When these lake trout were introduced,
1: well, there's always the the old papers and and uh people's accounts of how many fish used to be there, and it's you know I used to be able to walk across their back to get across from this one side of the stream to the other but i at one point, the population was upwards of eighty thousand fish going up in the spawning tributaries, which is kind of what we used as a metric to determine how many fish were there so Clear Creek, which is one of our major spawning tributaries, they had seen somewhere upwards of 80,000 fish going up there. And then in, uh, I'm trying to remember the year specifically, but in the later, I want to say it was like 2010 or something like that, maybe a earlier than that, but it was, you know, I think they saw 460 Yellowstone cutthroat trout go up wow. there. Wow. So it has been a substantial crash.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. So here we have this problem. So now, um, what, did, what have we been doing about it and what are we doing about it?
1: So in 1995, so the year after lake trout were detected, the National Park Service got together with a panel of scientists and uh, looked at different methods we could possibly use to help kind of crash this population or maybe get ahead of it so that we could actually manage this invasive species. So they settled on working with an integrative pest management model which is kind of an off branch of adaptive management so that they could go and kind of be flexible with their removal methods and kind of use best science to you know, develop maybe new methods that would be an assistance to something that was more effective in the past. But what we've traditionally been using has been gill nets and we've been just gill netting the lake as much as possible. Originally in the beginning stages of the removal program, it was more National Park Service only, Uh, But then in 2012, we ended up getting a contractor group involved that's uh, out of Wisconsin that does a lot of gill netting work. And we had them bring their boats and their crews down to the lake. And then we ended up having five or six boats at one time going out and gill netting. Um, And then that drastically increased the amount of lake trout we were catching. But I think the big one that we like to talk about is a couple of years ago the you know, the amount of gill net we put out in the water would stretch from, you know, Yellowstone Lake to Italy. So it was what? about really? six thousand miles of gill net in the lake. Concept, but uh, that's
0: not all at one time, obviously. No, no.
1: not that's at all. When you put it in time.
0: and then take it out. Okay.
1: Yep, yep. So the amount that was fished throughout the season, which is only you know, we're only on the water from End of May, early June, depending on when the ice comes off the lake till like first week of October, so all of that was done in about five months, so we were fishing very hard, trying to catch as many lake trout as possible
0: and you pull these gill nets in and remove the lake trout and then set them again
1: yep, so depending on what the season is or when the number of fish that they're catching, they'll kind of move around to different places. We kind of have an idea of. Maybe where some of the lake trout are kind of congregating, we are doing a hydroacoustic survey or a mobile a mobile telemetry uh, study. Or it's been an ongoing study, but we have tagged fish out there that we're following around with boats and trying to find out where the fish are hanging out. And then we have those the contractors go out and set gill nets there, try and increase the ability to catch lake trout and make it a little bit easier to maybe try and figure out where they're actually at in the water column and everything like that. Cause the lake is really deep. So,
0: so is there, um, how do you av- avoid catching the Yellowstone cutthroat?
1: So it is difficult to avoid catching Yellowstone cutthroat trout just because gillnets are not selective towards a specific species. They'll catch anything that gets near them. But essentially what we've ended up doing is, is because, The Yellowstone cutthroat trout tends to stay in shallower water, uh, whereas lake trout will be deeper. We end up just fishing the gillnets in relatively deeper water just to try and avoid them as much as possible. There is some overlap at the beginning of the season when the water is still really cold in Yellowstone Lake, but we get lucky because the Yellowstone cutthroat trout are going up the stream to spawn, so that kind of makes it so that we can fish shallower during the uh, right after ice off, and then we go a little bit deeper. But then we have to come up a little bit shallower again during the spawning season just so that we can actually target lake trout spawning sites. So then there's some concern there. But basically the net sets just aren't as long uh, time-wise. That way we just decrease the amount of bycatch we have.
0: Why can't you just set some gill nets out at the beginning of the summer and leave them, not pull them, for, and let the lake trout that are caught just decompose in the net?
1: Well, you could do that. But I would not want to be on that boat to go get that gillnet at the end <laughs> of the season. Um, when they were originally starting the program, they did have uh, they would leave the gillnets out for a couple of weeks at a time, but they found that it was just too difficult to deal with that mess, hmm. <laughs> though when it comes up out of the lake. So then we shifted to just shorter gillnet sets. But it would be interesting to see what one of those looks like at the end of the year.
0: Okay. So what other, um, were there any other schemes besides gill netting that were tried to reduce the number of lake trout?
1: Yeah, so we also tried some trap netting. Um, We didn't have a a ton of success with that. We are going to bring back some trap netting this year, um, but it's going to be for a PhD student who's going to be trying to catch some Yellowstone cutthroat trout. So the trap nets will be specifically targeting Yellowstone cutthroat trout instead of lake trout. But... We've kind of shifted focus maybe away from or, yeah, trying to develop maybe new ways to get rid of adult lake trout and have kind of started implementing some new methods to try and decrease the number of embryos or try and have an impact on the embryos of lake trout just because, you know, we're decreasing so much of the adults and they're becoming so difficult to find now. I mean, we're still removing, you know, upwards of 300,000 lake trout a year, but the adult population is crashing, but we're still seeing this huge surge in juveniles. So we're trying to figure out ways to level off their survival or try and make it so that they can't make it to older ages where we have to, you know, try and catch them later. So originally we started using the carcasses from adults and started distributing those onto some of the spawning sites to try and decrease the dissolved oxygen content on those spawning sites. Um, But then we realized that by doing that, we might not have a sustainable (laughs) suppression method because if we remove all the adult lake trout, we won't be able to spread their carcasses on the spawning sites. So then we ended up coming up with carcass analog pellets, which are a soy-based pellet that kind of mimics the same thing that we were seeing from the carcasses. And essentially, we just lower the dissolved oxygen there and then we just lower it to a level where it's unsustainable for embryos to survive.
0: fascinating. And is that working?
1: So it worked in the trials we've done, and we've only been able to do a couple large scale applications. Uh, It's kind of limited right now because we have to fly everything in with a helicopter and we have to get a bunch of equipment ready to go for it. Um, Just because going out there with the number of pellets, that we're applying. (laughs) If we were to do that on a boat, we would need a way bigger boat. So how big are
0: these spawning areas that we're talking about?
1: They're not big. Uh, the biggest one that we, I think have is like maybe an acre. Uh, but the one we've been treating is only 0.3 acres, but we're going out there and we're dumping 40,000 pounds of these carcass analog pellets on it. So it still requires a lot of, pellets, (laughs) pellets <laughs> no even if the spawning site is relatively small but yeah it's it's wild to think that the population has been sustaining itself even though we've been removing this many fish annually and you know right now we only know of 14 spawning sites in total and it it's not that much area at all so it's kind of interesting that they're still going
0: yeah it's amazing it says something okay so what about you what's your research
1: So my research now is um, I'm trying to figure out if there's any sort of complementary method that I can come up with that would kind of help decrease the survival of juvenile lake trout. So normally when we go and gill net lake trout, we don't start catching them until they're about age two. That's when they first recruit to our suppression program. And then we also have the embryo suppression but there's, you know, a couple years there where we're not really doing anything. The fish are kind of just doing whatever they want. And we don't know where they're going. There's actually, we don't have a lot of information on the juvenile lake trout population in the lake just because they're so hard to find. So uh, originally my project started off as kind of trying to test the efficacy of using uh, benthic trawl as a, a method to capture and try and locate some of these juvenile lake trout. So we're talking like 20 millimeter fish all the way up to like, maybe like 150 millimeter fish. So like okay. trying to find those real small fish, but you know, we ran into complications with the trawl and we weren't having super good luck. And it's, it's really hard to trawl in Yellowstone Lake, actually just because of all the volcanic rock down there, hmm. a lot of vegetation too. spend a lot of time sorting through vegetation. <laughs> so now it's kind of, we've started implementing, what we were calling micro mesh gill nets. And I've seen other people have used these before, but maybe not necessarily for lake trout suppression. But essentially, it's uh, I've got three different mesh sizes that I'm using it's quarter inch bar measure mesh, so very, very small, half inch, and then three quarter inch. So basically, I'm going out now and going to the same sites I was before, but trying to use these gill nets as a method of capturing these juvenile fish and seeing if the park service could maybe add on this new method to maybe suppress these juveniles a little bit more just because the the reason why people or why we think they're actually persisting so well is because the survival rate for juveniles in Yellowstone Lake might actually be like four to six times higher in Yellowstone Lake than it is in their native range. So by actively suppressing those age ones or age, you know, before they recruit to the the gear at age two, by actively suppressing them, we might be able to have a bigger effect over a longer period of time and be able to crash the population a little faster.
0: Why is why is the survival so much better in Yellowstone Lake?
1: So Yellowstone Lake doesn't have any uh, natural predators to or to lake trout. So basically, you know, we don't have any embryo predators that would feed on any of their eggs. We don't have any You know, there's no lamprey, anything like that, that would traditionally or that feed on them in the Great Lakes or Mm -hmm. attack them. So basically, they just are um, they're just kind of doing whatever they want. They have free reign of the lake and they go wherever and eat whatever they want.
0: Sounds good. Sounds like fun to be a lake trout. So what's the goal here?
1: The end goal? Well, for my project is hopefully I come up with an actual way that works to suppress the, the lake trout. But the end goal of the the lake trout suppression program is to try and get the lake trout population down to a manageable level of fish. And right now that's still open to debate on what manageable level means. You know, originally we had said it would be like a benchmark around 100,000 individuals past a certain age. And I don't specifically remember what that was uh, because things have changed so much. But you know, we're looking at, is that actually a sustainable number? Or do you know, do we need to change our benchmarks a little bit? You know, now it's just trying to get rid of as many as possible as quickly as possible in order to get rid of some of these adults that are feeding on Yellowstone cutthroat trout. So hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll see there, there might actually be like a number that is the, the goal.
0: But eradication is not, nobody thinks that that is possible.
1: Well, right now what we're saying is it's not possible. I wouldn't say that anything isn't possible. But, (laughs) um, yeah, right now, just the way everything is in the lake and, you know, far from kind of destroying some of the habitat in the lake, it's kind of going to be that they'll persist at low numbers or as low as we can make them without spending a couple million dollars every year trying to get rid of them.
0: Well, yeah, how much is it costing now to do all of this?
1: So... It's around $1.5 million annually to just do lake trout suppression in Yellowstone Lake. Wow.
0: Okay. So back to an earlier question. I I keep thinking of all these ideas about how to go about this. I seem to recall 15 or 20 years ago, they were talking about some sort of electrical method on the spawning sites for the lake trout. Do you know anything about that?
1: Yeah, actually. um, So It was called the electroshocking grid. I actually got Mm -hmm. to see it in action a couple times. It was semi-effective, but the problem is, is the conductivity.
0: tell us what what was it going to do?
1: Oh yeah, so it was. um, I don't even know how to describe the dimensions. It was like twenty feet long and twenty feet wide. We had it strapped to the back of a boat with ratchet straps. (laughs) It was uh, it's very difficult to maneuver around, but you would essentially take this grid that had a bunch of nodes that were dangling around in the middle of it and you would lay it down on the spawning substrate and then you would blast it with a huge amount of electricity and it was fairly effective but the problem is is that it was having a hard time penetrating the electricity into the rocky substrate so they were finding that it could only maybe go you know a couple centimeters away from the node actually just because the conductivity in Yellowstone lake is so low mm-hmm. So we ran into issues with that. We also tried a gold suction dredge, um, Mm -hmm. trying to use that to vacuum up embryos around. But yeah, using a six-inch pipe in a 300,000 hectare lake, trying to (laughs) vacuum up lake trout embryos was pretty difficult. Trying to remember what other things we've tried. There's been tons of crazy stuff. We tried doing some sedimentation, actually using one of those dredges. We would suck up the... Sand from one site off of one of the spawning sites and then blast it back onto the spawning site. Then there was some it would kind of worked, but it it also had its complications. It took a long time to actually move that much sediment from one spot to the other and I think there were also some complications maybe with the environmental assessment uh just because we were moving so much dirt around but uh large large scale I don't know if it would be able to work in some of the other sites because they're uh A lot deeper and the dirt is way further away. So unless we had a barge, maybe we could make it work.
0: So I think you should talk to the guy I was talking to on my last fisheries podcast, Paul Bazonik. So he has been working with non-physical fish deterrents. So trying to keep carp from entering various ecosystems in the Great Lakes. And he's got all sorts of cool stories about speakers that he plays Metallica over (laughs) underwater and flashing lights yeah, bubbles. I actually,
1: I actually just listened to his podcast before before we started. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I actually did look into if there was a way to maybe use some of the like sound equipment or something like that to maybe deter lake trout or maybe like just push them into one spot so we could right. just gill net them.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. What about surrounding the spawning areas with some a Metallica concert? And
1: that would they're, be they're awesome. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure we could have a lot of people actually show up for a concert. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. So one other question. The, um, I've forgotten what you called them, but the pellets that you're dropping to try to reduce the DO on the spawning sites, um, is that, are there concerns about introducing that big of a source of nutrients into the lake from an ecological perspective?
1: Yeah. So the carcass analog pellets are kind of, They're still in their, I guess I would call it their late infancy of trying to figure out what the best option is. And there have been some concerns about either, you know, the overabundance of nutrients or the possible introduction of, you know, a a large amount of soy into uh, the population or, you know, around these fish. Because you might actually end up in some circumstances, you know, there's been research that shows you can actually change the sex of a fish through the introduction of phytoestrogens, which, you know, there's quite a bit in those pellets. But yeah, we, we do go out and we do monitor the sites after we do the applications. And one of the things that's been good is, is, you know, after I think it's about two or three weeks, everything kind of dissipates from the site. So it doesn't necessarily stay localized. I think that if we were to actually start doing the carcass analog pellet treatment, every year on all 14 of the spawning sites. I think then then there might be cause for concern to actually maybe look more in depth into Mm -hmm. what is happening nutrient wise, but currently right now in Yellowstone Lake, there isn't a huge nutrient input. So we feel that it's probably okay with just one site, but yeah, if we step it up, we're going to have to definitely take a look at that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. So your days, you spend most of your days on the lake in the summertime?
1: Every day on the water. (laughs) Doesn't sound all bad, it's not horrible i I can't complain about it too much,
0: <laughs> and then in the winter, you're sitting in front of the computer like everybody else
1: pretty much yeah, yeah, it used to be before i before I started grad school, I was up there in our office in mammoth, either cutting otoliths and aging fish or going through and getting everything ready to order for the coming field season and going out and doing talks and all other stuff, so yep, but pretty much in front of a computer now,
0: <laughs> yep. I know how that goes. Okay. Well, thank you, Drew. I would say we've gotten through the easy part of the interview, and now we're at the tough part of the interview. Okay. Are you ready for the five questions? I'm ready. Okay. So what is your favorite fish?
1: Okay. So this is a tough question because I feel like I have multiple favorite fishes. I'm slightly biased that I do. I really, really like Yellowstone cutthroat trout, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, biased because I have to work with them a lot. but I also think, oh yeah, they're beautiful. They're, Mm -hmm. they're fun to fish for everything like that. But I also really, really think that angler fish are really cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Those are cool. I can't say I've ever actually seen one. Have you ever actually seen one?
1: No, I've never gotten to see one in person. I really wish I could, but yeah, the whole thing with like, just they're out there just fishing with their. (laughs) I think that is so cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool.
0: And then if you read about, Isn't it the angler fish that have the bizarre sexual system where the male just basically attaches to the female and melts into her and becomes a part of her body?
1: Yeah, that is just so bizarre.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's weird. I'm not sure I'd want to be a male angler fish.
1: No, definitely not.
0: (laughs) Okay. What is your favorite memory from your career so far?
1: So I have a lot of good memories from working in Yellowstone National Park. I think probably my favorite memory goes to a couple years ago, I ended up Going around a bunch of different lakes in Yellowstone and in Jackson Lake, which is just south and near Jackson in Wyoming. And I uh, went out and collected genetics from lake trout in the. It was, it was Jackson Lake, Lewis Lake, Heart Lake, Yellowstone Lake. That might have been it. But I got to go out there and do all these different surveys and gillnet fish in different areas I've never been to before for sampling. And then I got to do night gillnetting on Jackson Lake for these enormous lake trout because they have a trophy lake trout fishery there. And I think we pulled up like three or four 30 plus inch lake trout that night while we were out there. But yeah, it was just awesome to go out and do that. Okay.
0: What is your dream job or location?
1: So dream job, uh, I would like to stay working with native species and doing native species conservation I'm pretty open to any species. I don't, I'm, I'm not biased towards any fish, but as far as where I would, wouldn't mind living, I'm, I'm pretty open to that also because as a kid, I, my family moved us all over the place. So I've seen both coasts and everything in between. So it's been, I would, I wouldn't mind staying in the Intermountain West, but I have no opposition to going back any other place either. So,
0: okay. If money was not an issue, what is one project that you would like to work on?
1: All right, I've got some crazy ideas for this, but the one <laughs> the one I I think would be the coolest would be if we could go out into Yellowstone Lake and actually do some modifications to the areas we've identified as lake trout spawning sites and that could just be maybe tarping everything up or doing some kind of covering for them, but then if we did some man-made spawning habitats for the lake trout in one specific area that we could go back and target over and over and over again with very select methods, that would be cool. I think we could definitely have an impact on lake trout in Yellowstone Lake.
0: That is a really interesting idea. Has that been tried?
1: It has not been tried. I know that in a couple of, I think there was a study in New York where they actually went over and they tarped a bunch of the lake trout spawning habitat to see how that would affect their movements or what they would end up doing. Uh, And they ended up going to man-made structures within like a year right away. And, you know, in the Great Lakes and also in Swan Lake and a couple other places around that I've done some research on, they tend to target man-made structures if they don't have anything else that's better. So if we just got rid of whatever they considered good in Yellowstone Lake and just made one Mm -hmm. spawning habitat that we could easily access, right? that that it could be pretty cool.
0: Interesting idea. Okay. And finally, if there was one point or principle that you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be?
1: I think it would be the importance of native species. I think maybe we need to shift gears away from, I just want to go fishing for, you know, this brown trout or rainbow trout that's not supposed to be here because they're fun. But, you know, if we could just get across the importance of native species, not only for the ecosystem, but you know, Hey, they're pretty cool. And they're fun to fish for you. You can just do that. I think that would be good.
0: Well, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay. Well, once again, thank you, Drew, for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: And if people want to get in touch with you, how should they go about that?
1: So best way to get a hold of me would be to reach out to me on my email, uh, which is D-R-E-W dot J dot M-A-C D-O-N-A-L-D dot one at gmail.com. It turned out I wasn't the only Drew McDonald looking for an email. So <laughs> Drew J.
0: MacDonald. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sounds good. And do you have a, a social media presence?
1: I actually don't. I I have straight away from social media, we don't really get internet down at Yellowstone Lake. So
0: <laughs> Oh well that sounds kind of nice, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can definitely get away for a while. Yeah.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Well, I will put that in the show notes as well. If people want to get in touch with you and thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, they're pretty cool and they're fun to fish for you. You can just do that. I think that would be good.
0: Well, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay. Well, once again, thank you, Drew, for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: And if people want to get in touch with you, how should they go about that?
1: So best way to get a hold of me would be to reach out to me on my email, uh, which is D-R-E-W dot J dot M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D dot one at gmail.com. It turned out I wasn't the only Drew McDonald looking for an email. So. <laughs> Drew J. McDonald. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: okay. Sounds good. And do you have a, a social media presence?
1: I actually don't. I, I have straight away from social media. We don't really get internet down at Yellowstone Lake. So <laughs> oh,
0: well, that sounds kind of nice, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can definitely get away for a while.
0: Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I will put that in the show notes as well. If people want to get in touch with you. And cool. thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. You can help support the podcast with a contribution through Patreon, or you can buy some rocking fisheries podcast swag on Teespring. I'm Anders Halverson. Thank you for listening, and remember, native species.